Tere, and welcome to History of Estonia podcast. Introduction to Season 4 At the end of Season 3, we wrapped up our historical timeline with Estonia breaking out of what once was the Iron Curtain, when late in the evening of August 20th, 1991, the Supreme Soviet of the Estonian Republic decided on the national independence of Estonia to be free from the USSR de jure as well as de facto, which means independence both in practice and in law. And on September 6, 1991, the Soviet state of the USSR recognized the independence of the Baltic states, and a couple of weeks later, on September 17th, the United Nations welcomed three new Baltic republics into the United Nations. And with that, the Estonian Republic appeared on the map of the world as an independent and sovereign state once again. But we are more than 30 years past that now, and Estonia has taken its rightful place in the world, and with lots of really good friends to call on in time of need, if the unlikely possibility ever presents itself. First off, I regret to announce that the Estonian artist Yuri Arak died on Sunday, October 16, 2022, at the age of 86. Yuri Arak is probably the most easily recognizable Estonian artist because of his unique style and themes. In Arak's art, he expressed a supernatural world of Estonian myths and legends. He worked with various materials in his art. He was a painter and like most artists of the era, learned printmaking at the Estonian State Art Institute. If you are not familiar with Yuri Arak's work, a good place to get started is with his most famous work in the short animated film Surtul. I have posted this short film on History of Estonia's Facebook page, or you can just search for it on YouTube. I personally love this film, and I hope you check it out. If you are lucky enough to live in Tallinn, pop into the National Art Museum to see some of his work with your own eyes and in person. I am excited to introduce a new format for the podcast. We have previously been presenting this podcast to you through the lens of a timeline from the book History of Estonia, published in 1997. We have now completed this timeline and it is time to move on to something new. I would like to work with or interview Estonian historians or other Estophiles like myself, so hopefully they can pass on their experience in their given field or interest, and the plan is to have our first guest appearance in the next episode, Professor Andres Kusekamp of the University of Toronto. He has been very kind and has agreed to come onto the show and talk about his book, the Radical Right and in Interwar Estonia, which was published in the year 2000, and we will get back to this a little bit later in the episode. My personal interests are Estonian history and Estonian geopolitical security. 
I do admit I care about the long-term viability of Estonian culture and language, and the invasion of Ukraine by Russia is an attempt to resurrect the Russian Empire. Estonia was once in that club and wants no part of its membership ever again. Estonian culture and language somehow survived centuries of occupation, even with many attempts to russify Estonia by forcing Estonian children to have their language of learning in Russian and not Estonian, or by incentivizing Russians to move to Estonia in the 19th and 20th centuries. Hundreds of thousands of Russians ended up settling in Estonia, where mostly they ignored the local language and customs and created their own Russian-speaking communities inside of Estonia. That is how the empire works, and that is how it grows. With time, the indigenous people of the Russian empire slowly disappear, and their language becomes second class, and then forgotten. In occupied regions of Ukraine, the Ukrainian language was quickly replaced by the Russian language in schools. This happened in Estonia in the 19th century, and we covered it here on this podcast. If you are new to this podcast, please take the time and listen and learn not only Estonian history, but Russian history. Then it all starts to look familiar. I personally think the Estonian people, language, and culture are really interesting and unique. And this podcast is my attempt to help promote Estonia to the larger English-speaking world so that others have more resources to develop a relationship with Estonia for themselves. There has always been this understanding that the Estonians must yield to superior powers. Historically speaking, that has been true because of the nature of Estonia's size and geography, sitting between the global powers of Russia and Germany. The war in Ukraine has changed and will continue to change the power structure in the region. Now, in retrospect, Estonia has always been a vocal voice about the dangers that an expansionist Russia would present. Now Estonia's warnings to the world have been shown to be well-placed and prophetic. The last time an episode was posted was on February 21st, right before the start of Russia's war on Ukraine on February 24th. There is a lot that has happened since then, so we will take some time today and talk about this Russian stuff. I don't want to fixate on the subject and lose track of the narrative of the podcast, which is, of course, Estonian history and culture. But like I said, it's been a while, so excuse me while I take a little time to talk about these important events. Let's briefly talk about how Putin miscalculated so poorly at the beginning of this war, shall we? Assuming that Russians were going to find a way to start the war one way or another, the Russians could have started the war in the east in Luhansk and created a false flag operation for the reason to start a more limited war with less cost to Russia. Russia probably could have bitten off chunks of eastern Ukraine bit by bit as the opportunities presented themselves. But by invading the entire country, the West saw Ukrainian women, children, and the elderly needed to leave their homes and flee to the border. To date, approximately 60,000 Ukrainian war refugees 
have taken up residence in Estonia. But Estonia is a small country, and not even very close to Ukraine. While the larger neighbor of Ukraine, Poland, there are 1.4 million Ukrainian refugees, with over 13 million Ukrainian refugees created in total by the Russian invasion. The images of the refugees we saw on our screens demonstrated the need for the collective West to help Ukraine, and help they did. Why did Putin go for such a big gamble to try to take the whole country at once? It was a catastrophic mistake, and now Ukrainians and Russians both pay for that mistake. The war will be over one day, and when the game board in Europe is reset, it looks to me that Estonia will come out of this more secure than ever. Russia will have exhausted its military in the short term, at least. Estonia and the other Baltic countries will be shown as being correct in their warnings to the West about the dangers that Russia posed. And what I am very excited about is that Estonia will have a couple of their old friends in their neighborhood, Finland and Sweden, that will likely be joining NATO alliance in the coming months. Having Finland and Sweden in the NATO alliance will make a key difference for Estonia's security. Historically speaking, inside of NATO, it was assumed that if Russia invaded Estonia, much or all of the country would be lost before enough NATO reinforcements could make it to Estonia to drive the Russians out. We now see the horrors of what happens when the Russians come and take over your territory after Bucha, Ukraine, was freed from the Russian occupation. With Sweden and Finland joining into this defensive alliance, this gives Estonia and the other Baltic states strong neighbors that have the capability to come to Estonia's aid if Russia ever chooses to invade. So far, Estonia has contributed the second most bilateral aid to Ukraine than any other country as a proportion of GDP. Until recently, Estonia was ranked first, thanks to Latvia. Gee, thanks Latvia which recently overtook Estonia with 0.9% of GDP going to aid for Ukraine. Estonia donated 0.85%, the next closest being Poland at 0.5%, Lithuania at 0.4%, and the U.S. is down the list a few spots at 0.2% of GDP going into Ukraine as aid. However, with the size of the U.S. economy, they are by far the overall most significant contributor to Ukraine at $17.5 billion of much-needed material and financial aid. As an American citizen, I am happy to see the money so well spent in Ukraine because the whole future of the region will largely be influenced by this war's outcome. There was a radio broadcast given by then-U.S. President Franklin Delano Roosevelt and delivered on December 29, 1940, to the American people that laid out the reasoning and the need to provide aid to Europe. The central phrase of the talk was, American taking on the responsibility of being the arsenal of democracy. In the speech, Roosevelt pledged that the U.S. would be the primary supplier of material to its European allies against the German juggernaut. I am personally proud of the way the United States has again pledged to take on the role of the arsenal of democracy.
I am also proud to see Estonia and the United States doing a wonderful job of building a coalition that provides this arsenal. Estonia will continue to aid Ukraine because their past and future are linked by having the geographic unfortunate situation of neighboring the Russian Empire. I say Russian Empire because that is what Russia is, an empire. The last empire, actually. But for how much longer? With the partial mobilization in Russia, hundreds of thousands of Russians have flooded its neighbors' borders, trying to escape their conscription. That's the million-dollar question, and it's a question that has been asked by Western observers for centuries. When will Russia implode? Who wants to talk about the veterans movement in Estonia? Well, I do, and I know most of you weren't thinking that actually. But after getting to know their story better, I hope you find it as oddly fascinating as I do. The veterans movement was born from the camaraderie and success they shared in the War of Independence. These men all fought and achieved something that Estonians hadn't been able to achieve in over 800 years, mastery of their own land, not since the time of the Northern Crusade and the time of Limbitu, the ancient Estonian warrior and elder in the 13th century. When the Pope called on Europe to help convert and conquer the pagans of the Baltic lands by the sword, and by doing so, these invaders had their sins washed away. So winning Estonia's independence after 800 years was a big freaking deal. The Estonian veterans were proud, with every right to be so. They achieved something fantastic and were part of a shared history that Estonians and even some Westerners talk about to this day. It's something Estonians have dreamt about and even fought for at times for over those 800 years. When next we meet, we are going to talk about the veterans movement and the Estonian government in the interwar period of the 1920s and 30s. But we are going to talk about them with Professor Andres Kusekamp of the University of Toronto Monk School of Global Affairs and Public Policy. He was also until just recently the director of the Estonian Foreign Policy Institute and professor of Baltic politics at the University of Tartu, Estonia before returning to the University of Toronto. I am very excited that he has agreed to join us. The only downside is, with such an esteemed guest, we won't have much room to improve on the quality of our potential future guests. Professor Kasekamp published his first book in the year 2000, The Radical Right in Interwar Estonia, published by Palgrave Macmillan. I recently have had the pleasure of reading this book, several times actually, and even though we had covered this era briefly in our historical timeline, I was surprised when I got to learn the expanded story. So that you can get a feel for what we will be covering, I will read a quote from the book by General Johann Leidener explaining the difficulty of governing Estonia after the Constitution of 1920. Quote, as a result of our revolutionary spirit and lack of practical experience, we created a poor constitution, worse than ones elsewhere. It is not the composition of the Rigi Kogu which is at fault, 
but our constitution in which we made the Rigikogu the all-powerful ruler. A 100-headed council that is unlimited authority cannot govern any state well. We did not wish to create another authority that would act as a balance against the Rigikogu's power. The executive authority, the government, be it right or left wing, is the plaything for the parties in the Rigikogu, and it has no chance to realize any long-term program before it is brought down. During the period of independence from 1921 to 1934, the average lifespan of a cabinet was only nine and a half months until Estonia found a period of stability before the calamity that was the Second World War began. But you will probably be surprised how they came upon this era of stability. To better understand the era, Professor Kasekamp takes a book of 160 pages and packs it full of poignant information about the veterans' movement and how they greatly influenced the Estonian political landscape in the pre-war era of independence. In the book, The Radical Right and Interwar Estonia, we learn of Estonia's quest to put a, quote, Petermes Maia, which in this case would mean putting a responsible male decision-maker at the head of the house, or in this case, the government. So that is what I have planned, but as for now, I can't commit to a regular release schedule, so please follow the show so that you can see when a new episode is posted. The hope is to follow up Professor Andreas Kesekamp's appearance with others who would like to share their knowledge of Estonian history or culture. This podcast is free to everyone, and I have never asked for donations or put content behind a paywall. All I'm asking is that if you have the expertise or time to help, please reach out and contribute a little of your knowledge and time. My email address is sparsleyw at gmail.com. If you would like to say tete. Thank you for listening. And until next time, nagamisani.